Sometimes when you're working on scripture, you kind of have a question that sticks in your mind. And as I was looking at 1 Kings and was going to go right into the passage, there was a question I wanted to answer. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to be looking a good bit throughout scripture, turning many places. So have your Bibles handy tonight. And we're going to be asking a question. And if I had a chance to uh, rename my sermon, it would be, are we among the prophets? Are we among the prophets? So we're going to read 1 Samuel 10, just two verses. This is the chapter where Saul is anointed king, and he is given directions by Samuel. And as he's following them, a couple things happen. We'll start at verse 9. When he, at Saul turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed among him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for giving us your word, much of which has been revealed to us by your holy prophets and apostles. Direct revelation that now gives us direct guidance for our daily lives so many years later. later. And so would you give us a confidence and also a hunger as we spend time moving throughout your word, seeing what you have to say about your prophets. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we among the prophets? We're looking at the life of Elijah, and, and there's a lot to learn about Elijah simply by the, what God reveals to him and what he does throughout this special time. We call it redemptive history, right? The scope of, of God's story as he's moving through his revelation and people to the climax of Jesus. And I would say that's the most important part you can say there's a most important part of Scripture, but a big part of application of Elijah is just to be in awe and seeing God in action and who he is and what, how he is working. We learn something about our great God, Yahweh. But what about Elijah and his life? Is there anything that we can take from Elijah's life and the way that the Lord works and, and prepares and cares for Elijah and says, well, that that also kind of applies to me. I can take comfort in that. And so tonight we're, we're going to look at kind of what we call sometimes a biblical theology, tracing the strands of, of what it means to be a prophet and ask, are we prophets? You know, can, can we look at this story and say, well, that's, that's also for me too. Well, are we among the, the, the prophets? Can Elijah apply to us in his life? And there's really two errors that we can make here before we, we dive in. The first is that Elijah is just like us, right? And you can, you can draw a straight line from Elijah to us. There's a lot of you know, word of faith movements that would say that. And you know, if you just have faith and you have power, then, then God's going to work in your life like he worked in Elijah, which actually when we study his life is not all that appealing if you're just looking for an easy life. 
There are some serious problems with that, right? You can't draw a straight line. Elijah lived in a certain time. It was in a theocracy where, where God ruled this special nation of Israel through his covenant and his laws. Elijah also performed several miraculous, many miraculous signs, which we, we wouldn't say we could perform today. He raised the dead. He called down fire multiple times. He was a prophet that carried out God's word in a special time that we would say, no, that, there are parts which don't happen today. In fact, as, as we get along and go through the story of Elijah, we're much more like, at times, the 7,000, that faithful remnant who is actually suffering through the drought and curses of that time, along with the rest of Israel. Yet it's also wrong, I think, to say Elijah is completely unlike us. And, and there might be a tendency of, to do that in our circles, where we focus on a redemptive history and how different it is in each time, and to perhaps err on the side of caution and, and just say, you know, there's, there's really nothing. We should, we should just not really draw any connections. That's, that's safe. That's tidy. But I would say not so fast. There's a couple of reasons why not. First, Elijah is connected to Christ, just like we are through faith. And so as, as we're both connected to our Lord Jesus, there's, there's bound to be some similarities there. Second, the New Testament teems with references to Elijah. Elizabeth and I are just in our Bible reading plan, reading through the, the uh, Gospels in successive order. And it's just amazing how much Elijah comes up. And, and it's, it's not just there. Elijah is held up as a role model, as a godly believer. So in James 5, 17, James, he's talking about the prayer of faith. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Which I find fascinating because we would say today, you know, we're not going to pray for a drought. That's not how God works today. And that's not James' point. But he is saying, even as he's doing that, he's a role model for a godly believer who prays in faith. Finally, as followers of Christ, we have, and as his church, we have inherited a prophetic office. Just like we are kings and priests, we're also prophets. And that's really what we're going to focus on tonight. Well, where we're going, I'm going to I say we follow in Elijah's footsteps when we live in such a way that calls everyone else to experience the reality of God's kingdom. When, when we as a church, by our witness and our word, call people to experience that reality, we are following in Elijah's footsteps, even if it's not always the same way. We do that by our words and by our actions. Let me just say a, a little bit more of a finer point there. Okay, we're not, so we're not prophets in the sense of bringing any new revelation. We're not adding there's no third Corinthians. There is actually one out there. There's a reason it's not in the Bible. Right? We're, we're not adding more revelation to God's word, but we are prophetic in the sense that we bear witness to this completed revelation and to our Lord returning. So I want us to look at the prophets and see how we connect to them. Let's just talk about the prophets. Who were the prophets in the Old Testament? They were often called my servants. They're the servants of Yahweh. Often they were appointed for special occasions. Sometimes they received a, a special commissioning, like Isaiah or Jeremiah. They revealed his will. The, the theme of Elijah, especially the chapter 17, is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. The word of the Lord. And so they, they called God's covenant people to account when they were deviating, when they were forsaking him. They also interceded for people. Prophets had an intercessory ministry. Often signs came with them. And most importantly, as we read, even when Saul was among the prophets, they were empowered 
by the Spirit. So often it would say the Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet and they were moved. So who were the prophets? There were, there were some initial prophets that were important. Does anyone know who the, the first prophet named in Scripture is? Anyone have an idea who the Bible describes as the first prophet? It's, it's a little surprising. As far as I tell, unless someone's referred in the New Testament back, it's Abraham. Abraham, you might not think of him as a prophet, but in Genesis 20, verse 7, Abimelech is, um, the Lord has closed the wombs of his people because he had taken Sarah and, and the Lord confronts him and says, go talk to Abraham. He will pray for you for he is a prophet. It's fascinating because Abraham did not bring any direct revelation per se and write it down, but he was who received God's promises many times. God revealed his will to him and God was, uh, he was an intercessor interceding for both Lot and um, Abimelech. Then, of course, there is Moses. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses is in many ways the the cornerstone of the prophets that God would bring throughout all of the Old Testament. So if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Lord's revealing um, both um, the the line through who Moses is and, and more prophets that will come. Moses is the great leader and champion for Israel. Yes, he leads Israel out of Egypt, but he is very much a prophet, and he reveals God's covenant and his law. And this is, this is what Moses, God says about Moses' ministry and what's going to come after as the prophets. In chapter 18, verse 18, he says, reflecting now on Moses' ministry and what will come, I will wait, raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in, in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord, the Lord has not spoken. This prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And there they have the test of all the, the prophets that are to come. When they lay down the word of the Lord, it, it has to be proven true, which we saw in Daniel. And yet there is also this promise of another prophet like Moses. When we were in our, um, our New Testament and Old Testament classes in seminary, we were kind of wrestling with the Old Testament, how the Jews viewed it. We always come back to, well, well what about this passage? Who's, who's this prophet like Moses? Moses was a special prophet. Um, turn with me to Deuteronomy 34. Perhaps I should have read this passage first because it really talks about how Moses is different than all the other prophets. But this is what the Lord talks about summarizing Moses' career and ministry starting in verse 7 after his death. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plain of Moab 30 days. Then the day of weeping and mourning for Moses was ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. 
So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there had not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did inside of Israel. So there's something special about the foundational prophets, Abraham, and then especially Moses. It was, it was through Moses that God gave this new nation direction and shape in the covenant. And I, in this sense, Moses is in a class all by himself. You see how different he is even from, from Joshua. Joshua is his capable and godly assistant. And, and yet he's not a prophet like Moses. He'll be the leader, but he's not continuing the prophecy. That is going to have to wait for another one that will come like him. And so, so from Moses, he, the Lord institutes the priests, and then Samuel the prophet is, is kind of a bridge between the first prophets and the ones that follow. He, he brings up the, the judges, and then there's the kings. After that, prophets took a more subdued role. You have prophets, like court prophets like Nathan, who were always there, even if there wasn't a whole lot happening, until he received a special revelation from the Lord. And then they would come, like Elijah and Elisha, like Amos and Isaiah and and Haggai and Hezekiah call, are, are um, calling the people back to the covenant. And although none of them fit the bill, Elijah, Elijah is the other prophet that really stands tall in the Old Testament. Turn with me to the end of the Old Testament, which is Malachi 4. And although he's not identified as the prophet like Moses, there's a great anticipation with the ministry of Elijah, Malachi 4. We'll read the, the whole chapter of Malachi 4. It's very short. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And those words end the book of the prophets in, in the Hebrew scriptures. It's not the final end of their scriptures. They would have the writings afterwards. But this is what the prophets close on. This expectation that at the day of the Lord, there will be one that, like Elijah who will prepare the way. And, and there was a, people thought that the Messiah, perhaps the prophet, they called him the prophet, would come when Elijah comes again. And, and you hear that when you read the Gospel of John. right? When John comes and he's baptizing, people ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answers, no. It's John 1.21. John didn't realize that in some ways he was fulfilling the role of Elijah. And then the people asked Jesus in John, 
when, or they, they proclaimed in John 6.14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. John 7.40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Looking back now to Deuteronomy 18, the prophet like Moses, they had this expectation that he was coming. When you read Jesus and the Gospels, it's important to realize that he was at this exciting time where people were waiting for God to act. They had all of those promises. And they're saying, is this it? And then you can see how Jesus fulfilled the, the final promises of the prophets, not just by announcing the kingdom, but by bringing it in. Jesus fulfills the covenant that was started by Abraham and Moses and testified to all the prophets. And as Scripture says, he is the final prophet. He is the great prophet. Okay, well, that's, that's how we see the prophets going to Jesus, but what about us? Does that just make us spectators on the sideline? Or are we only you know, kind of connected to that? Well, how does that work for us? Well, we're connected to that because, well, we're connected to Jesus. And there is a way, although we are not prophets that bring new revelation, that we are filled with the Spirit. I want you to turn back to Numbers 11. Way back in, in the Old Testament, as the people were wandering through the, Israel, through the desert, and the people were grumbling, the Lord announced that there were, the Lord appointed more elders to help Moses. Remember, at that time, it was only Moses who was filled with the Spirit in a special way. It was, it was very limited and very um, specific. Listen to what happens in chapter 11, verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. In the midst of the grumbling and judgment, God pours out his spirit as, as a, just a hint of what's to come in these elders, in this, kind of this ordination. And, and they prophesy as a, as a hint of his work to the future. And Joshua, who's jealous for the reputation of Moses, wants it to stop. But Moses says, no, no, this is, this is how God is going to work in the future. Turn with me now to Joel chapter 2. There's a prophecy in Joel, as the Lord is through Joel calling the prophets, um, calling the people to repent once again. And if you're looking for Joel, it's in the Minor Prophets and Daniel, Hosea, Joel before Amos. And there's there's a lot of famine and drought 
or famine really pronounced in, in Joel and, and a lot of consequences. But then the Spirit gives a picture of what's going to happen in the latter days. In Joel 2, chapter 8, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. I thought I'd just point out there, there's a phrase in the days of Elijah, for out of Zion's hill salvation comes. I think a reference here to this passage. There's a lot of language here of the fire and the smoke and the thunder. It's, it's from Mount Sinai. It's part of it is, is the Lord appearing, um, the, the, the stars and the moon turned to blood, end times imagery. What's, what's the promise here? That the Spirit would no longer be special or contained to one or a few individuals, but would be for all of God's people. It's astounding at the end of the days. All right, then turn with me to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has ascended in chapter 1, the disciples and the followers of Jesus are transformed from those fearfully locked in a room to those who are, are boldly proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes on Pentecost, they're filled with all different languages as they're proclaiming it. And, and people are wondering what's going on and they're mocking them. And verse 15, Peter explains, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, nine in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter quotes the passage that we just read. And Peter says, don't you see that what is happening here, at least in part, is fulfilling what Joel says at the end of the days. The spirit is now liberally spread as a gift. All God's people are now spirit-filled prophets. Now, again, we should probably ask a question. Should we, should we expect exactly what we see here in Acts 2 today? And the answer w- would be no. Um, the apostles were clearly limited to the days right after Jesus, and that's what we believe with the prophets too. Ephesians 2.20 says the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So we, we don't say that, well, now we're all prophets in the time that we will just burst spontaneously into speaking in tongues. But, but yes, we would say that the Spirit has finished His revelation and we, as rooted in Jesus, moved by the Spirit through His words, now act in a way that, that is a prophets that point to the signs of what He's done. We're part of the body that carries out His commission, that talks about His death, His ascension, His resurrection and return. And this has massive consequences for the world, right? As we, as we live as pilgrims in this world, we're not citizens... And yet we live here, there should be an urgent expectation that it's, it's not just what people say in America. It's a nice life and then you die and try not to hurt anyone on your way out. 
But we are people who are witnesses to the glory and the power of what Jesus has done in our lives in the past. Now, I think you could back that up, just that we are, we are prophetic in our witness just from the Great Commission. But I, I'm just point if you would like to explore this further, we don't have time tonight, but I just point you to two passages you can write down. The first that talks about this would be Ephesians 3, uh, verses 8 through 13, where Paul is talking about the mystery of the Gentiles that's been revealed to him. And he says, uh, the, the whole point of this is that so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's saying it's through the church that, that God declares his mystery. That would be in re- revealing his will in a prophetic way. And then in Revelation 11, there's this, this cryptic passage of two troublemakers who come and, and keep stirring up problems for the world as it stands against the Lord. And they're clearly referenced back to being, surprise, surprise, Moses and Elijah. Now, there are people who would say that, well, these are just Moses and Elijah resurrected in the flesh and, and coming back. I'm convinced that if you read through Revelation and you look at how the church is described elsewhere, it is saying that these two now represent the witness of the church as they're living, as we live in the world in her prophetic witness. What does this all mean? That we as the church are the spirit-filled body that Moses longed to see. So astounding as it is, that's, that's what it means. We're not the prophets of old, as in bringing new revelation, but we don't need to be. Jesus has already accomplished that. And so we are to be faithful witnesses of his rule and his return. So what does this look like? Think about how prophets worked in signs and in words, right? They, they, they proclaimed the truth, they backed it up with signs. What does that look like? Well, I would say, first of all, we should not expect today the pyrotechnics of Elijah, right? I mean, just extremely dramatic, literally fire from heaven on a mountaintop. I mean, how more impressive can you be? How, how more dramatic can you be? Um, we, we shouldn't be praying to cause three years of drought. Right? That, that misses the point on so many levels. That, that was for a special place and a special time. But we should expect the signs of the Spirit to bring about incredible transformations in this world and in our lives. Jesus was the master uh, and of miracles. He performed pretty much every type of miracle that was in the Old Testament to show that he's the fulfillment and more. And what does he say? In John 14, 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. But do, you know what Jesus, do you know what Jesus is saying here? In a way, what, what you do is going to be more incredible. Um, not because it's, it's more outwardly impressive, but because the Lord, through His Spirit, is going to, are going to use fallible people, sinners saved by grace, to be instruments of my witness. And through that, the Spirit's going to make dead, hard hearts alive. He's, he's going to kill our legalism and root out our formalism and hypocrisy. He, he's going to bring us a new life and joy that will be a sign to the world. And when we give our testimony, this is what the Lord has done for us. That's something the world can't argue with. You can't argue with that story of what the Lord has done. They may say, well, I don't believe it. But they can't say, well, no, that didn't happen in your life. 
Well, what about the word? Well, we should not expect prophets today um, coming about saying, thus says the Lord. And meaning that we need to add another verse or chapter to scripture. If someone says that, we should run, right? That's, that's the wrong attitude. But the church is to declare the works of the Lord. And once again, we need to have this anticipation that we are living in the end times where the Spirit's been poured out. That's why I do really enjoy the song, Days of Elijah. It starts, if you notice the verses, it starts with an Old Testament truth. And then before you know it, as you're part two of the verse, it's talking about where we are and what's happening. And that these realities that were promised back then are already working their way out right now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of great expectation. And even if we as a church are to announce Jesus' rule and return, and people laugh like they did at the day of Noah. What's God going to do? There's there's not going to be no rain. There's going to be no judgment. Just just live your life and that's it. That's what God's called us to do. To hold out that hope. The word starts with Sunday. It starts as, as we proclaim the gospel. And it should start and first ring true in our own hearts. And then as the real unbelieving world comes in, they should hear it too. Like we, like we heard this morning, that real life, the fullest life, is later. It's not yet. And then the Sunday proclamation continues out into our lives, wherever the Lord carries us. There is a story in um, the little book, Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. A great little book saying, it's not all up to you. It's not, it's just not, not, you, you don't have to carry that load. The church does it. But he talked about, there, there, this is this church in, in, I believe, Dubai. And so it was a church that one of the, the, the leaders of the Muslim world allowed them to have for all the expatriates who were there. And they were constantly in witness mode because there were all these people who, who were not Christians. And they just knew that if someone was having a wedding at their church, A, it was open game to invite anyone who wanted to come. It's like, if you have an unbelieving friend, A, invite them to the wedding and B, that the gospel would be proclaimed. It just was understood. It was part of the culture that we as the church have this pathetic witness to what the Lord is doing. And wherever we are, it's going to rub off. And so we as a community, by our words and deeds, should proclaim that God is the one who rules and changes lives. So are we among the prophets? Not in the thus says the Lord ways of new words, but thus says the word is part of being the kingdom of priests as well, who talk about and prepare, proclaim God's faithfulness and his return. I want to end just talking about the individual, because, okay, we talk about we as the church are prophetic, but, you know, am, am I a prophet as an individual? How, how does that work? You know, I'm, um, Monday is usually my day off, and I have a whiteboard full of very just ordinary things to do, and, uh, you know, I'll probably get up tomorrow morning and not be feeling all that prophetic as I'm tackling the trash in the basement and cooking some food, right? Well, here's the encouragement. You're not Elijah, right? You are not in that particular situation where the Lord has put you against the whole world and you must stand up and and declare it. It is not all up to you by your witness and your works to bring about a great revival. And you think about the Spirit puts us in different places at different times with our different abilities. I, I was just thinking as Pastor Dick was talking about the, the Chinese people today and, and the pastor who was put in jail for nine years. That's, that's a very different place to, to have a prophetic witness than we are. It's, it's, it's going to be 
different. And so don't go out there with the world all on my shoulders. It's all up to me. We got our, we got our gas installed, thanks to the trustees, um, in, our, in our house. And we got a, a stove hooked up. And there was a guy who was there all the day. And I was just praying, Lord, you know, is there, is there a time that I could share the gospel with this guy? Tell him about what I'm preaching about. And um, I opened a few little doors and put out a few little feelers. And he didn't walk through them. And at the end of the day, I, I didn't feel guilty for not somehow barging in and, and, and you know, planning the gospel there where I didn't think it was appropriate. It's, it's not all up to us. You're not Elijah. But I do also want you to feel the, the prophetic call of discipleship. And even if it is just faithfully living out your, your love for Jesus, even if no one else sees it, you are, in a way, witnessing to the truth of what has happened in your life. In that sense, you are a prophet. And I do want you to don't give up hope how God can work in other people. We think there's such a disconnect today. We are, we are all people who are in covenant with God because he is our creator. It's a covenantal relationship. We are in relationship with God. God has planted eternity in the hearts of all men and women. And, and we don't know how he's going to bring those he's called to new life, but we should be um, prophetic about such truth. Even if it is simply just being faithful in your marriage and after someone knows you for 20 years. Why, why is it that you're still together when everyone else has gone their way? God can use that. So how do you get this mindset? Well, I would say declare it to yourself. Declare it to yourself that the grounding, ground yourself in the truth that Jesus the King is coming back. There's a, two verses from Mark that really grabbed me when Jesus talking about his time, when he will come back. Uh, Mark 13, verses 26 and 27. And Jesus is saying, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the heaven to the ends of the earth. By the way, did you hear that as we sing? Behold, he comes riding on the clouds. That's moving to the future as we sing in that song. We're, we're here already singing, this is coming. We need to be grounded in that truth, meditate in that truth. What's a simple way you can do that? The Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, pray, Father, your kingdom come. That's what you're praying. right? And grant me the vision to see the reality that your kingdom is moving. Right? When we pray and, and ask God for help, it's, it's, it is, we know it's not a, a, a lucky rabbit's foot that we rub to give us a leg up in the day. right? We're, we're praying for God to help us carry out the mission He has us, for us today as is in line with His kingdom. So this week, ground yourself in that reality that you stand on the edge of eternity, that Jesus could come back at any moment. Ask the Lord to develop in you a prophetic expectation and maybe even a type of speech and language that would whet other people's curiosity. Are we among the prophets? You better believe it. Not in the sense of creating a new word of Scripture, but in a Spirit-filled life that declares the Kingdom of God is here in all of its power. Please pray with me. Lord, we stand and look back 
at your revelation so complete and so wonderful as it is wrapped up in Jesus and then how we, being united to Him, are connected to His ministry and we receive the Spirit. Father, would you stop us in our tracks that we are among your people who have received the Spirit poured out on us. Would you give us a a new expectation and excitement as we go out from here today to do probably some, some very mundane things, but could we do them faithfully, joyfully, perhaps even boldly, knowing that the King rules and His return could be any way. We pray this in His name. Amen.